Pastor Ben pointed out, we're starting this new series called Canceled. Everything culminates with uh, a message called Death Canceled on Easter Sunday. And we want you to begin even this service, before the end of this service, asking God to lay somebody on your heart that you're going to pray for to invite on what uh, we are told is the most likely Sunday of the whole church year for people to show up on, uh, for worship, and that is Easter Sunday. Now, if you can get them to come before then, for it. Uh, but you want to get them here on Easter Sunday. And so throughout uh, the, our, the, the whole state mission board asked the, the state of Georgia to preach on death canceled that Sunday. And I thought, well, that's not enough. There are so many things that were canceled because of the gospel and the gospel's impact. And so we will spend several Sundays with this theme, and I'll introduce some of those to you in just a moment. This morning's message is somewhat introductory in and of itself because I'm going to touch on some areas that we can't delve as deeply into for the sake of time, but certainly we will get there. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8, and let's stand as we open God's Word together. I, I, I posed a question yesterday on Facebook uh, hoping to get some response, and I did get, get a good bit of response, but it was, if you could only have one chapter of the Bible, what chapter would it be? And uh, I don't know what your answer to that question would be, but Romans chapter 8 was certainly one. I, I was trying to think of, you know, what chapter in the Bible would certainly contain the gospel because we need the gospel? What chapter of the Bible would t- talk about uh, the importance of growing in grace and the Spirit-filled life? And, and what chapter of the Bible would bring me the encouragement I would need in hard times And so it's hard to narrow that down. We need to preach and teach the whole counsel of the Word of God for a reason. But boy, Romans chapter 8 is just packed rich. And so we'll start at the end this morning. We'll read the last few verses because then I want you to see what framed that that declaration beginning with verse 37 as we go back and study this whole chapter. It says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Today we're talking about... um, the fact that a defeated spirit is canceled, and that'll be a key verse. More than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, as we open your word this morning, I know that there are people under the sound of my voice that may not even be assured of their own salvation, but may they not leave today without that assurance, without nailing that down. Lord, there are others that feel confident that they're born again, but they're walking around with a defeated spirit. And I pray that you would show them how the gospel cancels that spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Now, I have done entire, an entire series on Romans chapter 8. There's so much here. And so I'm going to have to read fast at times if you will listen fast at times as we cover the whole chapter in one message this morning. As we get into this series, when I first saw that word canceled and thought about how to adopt it and, and not just preach on the subject death canceled, but Look at all the other things that are canceled. I I couldn't help but think of those words that we're all hearing a lot these days. Cancel culture, right? We hear those words all the time because there are so many things within the culture that are being canceled. 
I looked up, I thought, man, what are some of the top things on the list? And the, the, the list was endless, by the way, but just to name a, a two or three of those things that have been canceled lately. Did you know that Mr. Potato Head was canceled? How many of you heard that news? Mr. Potato so a lot of you heard that. Mr. Potato Head was actually canceled. Now, every kid, when I was little, had to have at some point on a Christmas day a Mr. Potato Head. And then, to be politically correct, a few years later, they came out with Mrs. Potato Head. And so I thought that would have satisfied everybody, right? We've now got Mr. Potato Head and we've got Mrs. Potato Head, but no, no. Today, Mr. Potato Head has been canceled because um, of gender fluidity and everything else. We'll just give Potato Head. And then the kids can kind of decide how much of uh, one sex or the other Potato Head represents. But no more Mr., no more Mrs., because that does not give gender choice. Well, the Bible certainly has something to say about that, but then I saw that Dr. Seuss, I couldn't believe that one. Now, I didn't look up to see what book, so I couldn't tell you if it's green eggs and ham or what, but I was just blown away that now Dr. Seuss is politically incorrect in several of his books. And then it was school names all across this nation, the leading city being San Francisco. Nobody's surprised to hear that probably, but 42 schools in San Francisco alone canceled their school name because of the sins of the individual the school was named after. Now, I'm glad that Moses wasn't canceled because of his past sins. I'm glad that King David, who committed adultery and had Uriah left for death on the front lines, wasn't canceled out of the Bible all of his good things. I'm glad that Peter, and we know Peter's wrestling with various sins. I'm glad that we don't take his Pentecostal sermon out of the Bible because it wasn't until Acts chapter 10 that he kind of got right with his prejudice. And so I'm glad we don't say, oh, well, then before Acts chapter 10, none of that counts. So let's take Peter out of the Bible, right? We didn't cancel people because of their sins and their lack of sanctification in areas. But our culture wants to cancel everything. And so we need to respect in good measure and say, listen, to our culture, there are some things that the Bible cancels. There are some things that the gospel has canceled. And it's time that the church hears for ourselves things that we tolerate in our own lives that have been canceled by the greatest story ever told. Man's plans. We'll look at arrogant planning in the days ahead and how man's plans, you know, We've all had canceled plans, right? You were planning to do something, but your plans got canceled. Well, the Bible cancels the whole idea of arrogant planning, planning without God. Demonic control, fear, and anxiety get canceled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Traditionalism, the traditions of man. There are so many things that we get upset about today, and it's not Scripture. It's merely the traditions of man that we try to embrace but traditionalism is canceled in Scripture. Sin's power in your life, while we're introduced to that in part today, we'll spend a Sunday talking about how sin's power has been canceled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Easter Sunday, death, the big one, right? Canceled because of the gospel of Christ. Well, when we don't understand this, we don't understand what the gospel has to offer, and you might look at today's message as kind of an overview somewhat of all those things we'll be looking at in the days ahead. 
when we don't understand that, we walk around as Christians with a defeated spirit. So today, we're looking at Romans chapter 8 because we need to understand as believers that because of the gospel, the defeated spirit has been canceled. If you've ever battled a defeated spirit, Romans 8 is one of the great places to turn. We're often controlled by this, these feelings of defeat, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of we'll never get victory in this life. Now, I've said it in the previous series, and we need to understand this. Feelings are wonderful servants. They are horrible masters. And so we need to take those feelings and introduce them to God's truth and make them subject to the truth of God's word. So, so many churches today are responding to emotionalism. And by the way, I have a problem with emotionalism. I have a problem when the, the goal of the preacher is to get people worked up into an emotional frenzy so that they can manipulate a response. And that happens all over the place. But so many times now, in, in response to emotionalism, the church buys into dry orthodoxy and they say, well, let's just take emotion out of the picture. No, well, God gave us emotions. Jesus wept, right? Shortest verse in the Bible, and the only one some of you memorized. But Jesus wept because he experienced emotion. Jesus laughed and Jesus rejoiced because he expressed emotion. But the feelings of a defeated spirit need to be made subject to the truth of God's word. And so I'm glad that I embrace a faith that I can feel and that God says it's okay to express those feelings. What we do want to do is make sure that those feelings, that our passions are subject to the truth of God's word. And so the answer is not dry orthodoxy, but it is scholarship on fire to where you become a student, a passionate student of the word of God, and you bring your emotions into subjection to that truth and let truth govern the expression of your emotion in this life. That emotion then will not be one of a defeated spirit. So what are the overwhelming feelings? What are some overwhelming feelings that you might experience that the gospel has said, no, 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 wait a minute, you don't understand. The truth says that that's canceled. Here, here's number one that's dealt with in Romans chapter 8. That is the condemnation of sin, the feeling of condemnation of sin. Now, sin does condemn us, no doubt about it. Jesus said in John chapter 3, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Is it because sin doesn't condemn? No, it's because he says the world stands condemned already. I don't need to bring the condemnation because the world's already condemned. And some are told that by their feelings and others have to receive a, the truth of God's word to instruct them in that. But keep in mind in Romans chapter 7, we see a very frustrated apostle as Paul says, listen, here's how I feel. I feel like what I want to do, I can't quite do it. The good that I know that I ought to do, ah, I fall short. And the bad that I don't want to do, I keep falling back into that. And so scholars love to argue, Romans chapter 7, is this the unsaved apostle? Is, is, this, is this Paul before salvation say, I want to do the right thing, but I can't? Well, if you go back and look at Paul's life, he was pretty arrogant thinking that he had kept all the law before he got saved. I believe that Romans chapter 7 is talking about the born-again Christian who's trying to live in the flesh and hold on to enough religion or the ritualism of Judaism and, and trying to live the righteous life without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because Romans chapter 8 
gets into that. But when you are trying to live for the Lord and you see that the past sins are brought and, and kind of put in your face all the time and your present struggle with sin and the fact that you probably know that as much as you want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than you were today, you're probably going to blow it. We can feel so condemned by those sins. And so Paul ends chapter 7, and you got to understand, man came along later and put numbers in. The inspired, inerrant Bible did not have numbers written in there to begin with. We added those so we could find what was written. Paul wrote Romans like a letter, and so it flowed naturally from verse 25 of chapter 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but my flesh, the law of sin. What are we going to say about this? Romans chapter 8, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bottom line, period. Emphatic negative. There is no condemnation, period, right? For those who are in Christ Jesus, we might feel it. We need to introduce those feelings to the truth of God's word. He goes on to say, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, Paul would argue that the law is not evil, but we were in Romans chapter 7. We couldn't keep it. We kept falling short, but God kept it. God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. Only man owed a price for sin. Only God could afford the price for sin. And so there had to be one who was fully God and fully man, the sinless Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. In order, verse 4, that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, we're learning to walk in the Spirit. Second Peter 3.18, we're growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ where we get more of the Word of God in us and we learn Ephesians 5.18 to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. But we are still, according to verse 12 in Romans 8, not under obligation to sin or the law. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything, and we don't owe anything for our sin. But we don't always see that. So you understand, when you got saved, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, turning from sin and self and trusting him alone, he made you a new creation. Old things are being passed away, all things are becoming new, but you are to grow in grace. And so as you grow in sanctification, yes, you should sin less as you grow in grace. You should become more like Christ. There should be a spirit of repentance that didn't just happen at the moment of salvation, but that guides you through life. However, when you got saved, past, present, and future sins were all eradicated because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. You didn't earn it, and it's not you who has to make it come to completion. That is the work that Christ did on the cross. Why is it important to see ourselves as not living under condemnation? Proverbs chapter 23 says that the man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so the me I see is the me I'll be. When I understand that I'm not under sin's condemnation, when I understand that 
Jesus has said, if I am in him, there is no condemnation, then I will have greater desire rather than to say, well, you know what? I've already blown it today. I might as well just live like a loser and, and have a defeated spirit. I'll say, wait a minute. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He doesn't say that we have to ask for forgiveness again and again and again. He says, confess it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The me I see is the me I'll be. I'm, I am positionally as holy as Jesus is holy. He sees me through the lens of his son and sees nothing but the blood of Jesus covering my sin. However, practically, I'm becoming who I am positionally in Christ. But there's no condemnation in our lives. When we understand that, we'll quit trying to beat ourselves up for not adding enough to Christ's works. One of, one of the cool things that I like to do and sometimes like to have done for me is to be in a place, it might be Tina and I, it might be our staff, but we get ready to, to walk out and we get ready to pay our tab at a restaurant and they say that somebody else has already paid for it. Well, I don't think that's right. I, I want to pay for it. Sorry, you can't. It's already paid for. Nothing you can do to add to it. It's already paid for. The total price has been paid. They even tipped us well. Don't worry about it. And so I like to do that for folks, and I think it's cool sometimes when it's done for us, and sometimes it's members of Trinity that surprise. Sometimes we don't figure out who did it. But when you try to add payment to that, when you say, okay, I'm rejecting that, you're doing a couple of things. For one thing, you're trying to do something impossible. You're trying to pay something you can't afford to pay because the wages of sin is death. And though you might pay for your own sin with eternal separation from God in a place called hell where the wrath of God for your sin is poured out throughout eternity, you can't pay for anybody else's sin. But secondly, not only is the price you can't afford to pay, it shows that you're ungrateful to the one who paid the price. If I, if I were to say, but I didn't like that person who paid for mine and I reject that they paid, it insults the person who did something for you. And so we trample underfoot the blood of the cross when we reject the offer. But when we, by faith, say, yes, I receive what Jesus did for me as a satisfaction for the, my sins when he became sin for me on the cross, there is no condemnation in my life. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. So he, in salvation, makes you alive in Christ. You become a new creation. And he forgave all our trespasses. How many? Those before you got saved? How many? Those before you got saved into your community. Listen, all means all. <laughs> I know Pastor Ben's grappling with Greek right now. Here's an easy one for you. All means all. And the Greek word there means all. Past, present, future is under the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You would say, oh, well, as long as my future sins are forgiven, I'll go on sinning that grace may abound. And Romans 6 says, God forbid, how can we that have died to sin keep on living in other words, God changes your want to. You don't want to sin anymore. A, a born-again believer might lapse into sin and loathe it, but an unbeliever is one who can live in sin and love it. You can't live in it and love it anymore because of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and a God who will discipline those that he loves. My sin 
Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. What happens in the hymn? Look at verse 14. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, it says in some translations, that were opposed to us and has taken it away by doing what to it? Where's your sin? By nailing it to the cross. The Lord laid on him who knew no sin, Isaiah says, the sins of us all. So that when Jesus was nailed to the cross before I was even born, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well with my soul. Listen, if you had to get saved every time you sin, we'd be baptizing 400 people every Sunday because we'd lose it every week. He covered my sin once and for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And we're growing in his grace because of that, and we're no longer under condemnation. There's so much here that I'd love to get into, but for sake of time, just look at Romans chapter 5, and we'll wrap up this first point. Romans chapter 5, 1 and 2, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now look down in verse 9. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? That's what Jesus did for us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't beat yourself up because God's not beating you up. When you're trying to say these sins, he has said, I've thrown that sin into the sea of forgetfulness. It is behind my back. I choose to remember it no more. It's not that God gets amnesia and forgets. It's that he chooses to remember no more. So who are we to bring it back up? Number two, not only the sin in our life, and later on we'll look at the power of sin in our life, but number two, the control of Satan. Demonic control, we'll see on March 20th, a couple weeks from now, demonic control was canceled by the gospel of Jesus Christ when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. What do we need to understand now, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, here's a word for those who would say that, okay, when I was 10 years old, I got Jesus, but I didn't get the Holy Spirit. When I was 20 years old, I, I got the Holy Spirit. Look at the second part of verse 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him who? Christ. In other words, you cannot receive Christ without the Holy Spirit taking up residence in your life. Now, we do need to learn something about the Spirit-filled life and walking in the Spirit because Ephesians 5.18 says that we're to continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I do believe that we need to emphasize more and more the wonderful Spirit-filled life of saying, Lord Jesus, fill me afresh and anew today. But the Holy Spirit's already in the house. Your body is already a temple of the Holy Spirit or Jesus didn't come take up residence in your life. That's how he entered into your life was through the Holy Spirit who brought about the regeneration and cleansing to make you as holy as Christ is holy. And so we come back to verses 14 through 17. What has happened as a result of all this? In Romans chapter 8, for those who are led of God's Spirit are God's sons. There's going to be evidence for you did not receive the spirit of slavery back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we 
cry out, Abba, Father, that intimate word for God. Not only Father, but Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, my close, loving Father who cares about me. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if God's children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And so before you came to Christ, whose children were you? According to John chapter 8, what Jesus tells the religious crowd, you're of your father the devil. And all you want to do are his desires. See, everybody in this world, everybody on this planet knows either God is father through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, or the devil is their father. You only have two choices. You only have two options. So if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can't just say, hey, well, you know, everybody's God's children. No, everybody's not God's children. Everybody's God's creation. God owns it all. The earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the people and all that dwell in it. But even though people know God as owner, that doesn't mean they know God as father. And so before you, we give our heart and our life to Jesus, the devil is our father. And Scripture makes that abundantly clear. So we have to avoid the language that just says everybody is a child of God. Everybody's not a child of God. For those who put their faith and trust in Christ, Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. In other words, you were taken out of this family and Romans 8 adopted into this family. Now God is your heavenly father. God is your dad. But he's more than a buddy, even though Jesus said, you can call me friend. He is the father who loves and provides and protects. And so you don't have to be under the enemy's control. Do we have any, um, do we have any older siblings here? that you, you had younger siblings. Were you ever put in charge of them? You know what it's like to be put in charge of younger, younger siblings? Mine aren't in this service, so I can talk about them a little bit. But my parents put me in charge from time to time, right? You're in charge. We're, we're going to work. We're going to wherever. You're in charge. And you've inevitably heard these words when you started telling them what to do. I knew, I knew somebody would say, Put it in Madison County lingo. You ain't my daddy. You ain't my mama. Now, granted, if you were the older sibling and they put you in charge, you had some authority there, but people would remind you that from time to time. You might be playing with your friends somewhere and you start getting a little bossy and they say, Yeah, you ain't my daddy. You ain't my mama. I believe there are some Christians that's when they get a defeated spirit, they need to learn to look the devil in the eyes and say, you ain't my daddy. You, you ain't in charge anymore. I belong to Jesus Christ, and because of that, I'm a child of a king, and I'm subject to him. And by the way, if he tells me what to do, don't be throwing that you ain't my daddy around to the devil if you ain't going to listen to your heavenly father. But if you're going to listen to your father, then look the devil in the eyes and say, you ain't my daddy. You, you don't tell me what, that temptation he's going to throw your way this week, this month, this year. Just look him in the face and say, I'm done with that. You're, you're not my daddy. You don't have to tell me. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about being set free from demonic control. And I do believe that it's very real. And while born-again believers may not experience possession, they certainly experience oppression. And the devil would love to make you powerless for the kingdom. 
But that defeated spirit because of the control of Satan does not have to exist in your life. It's canceled because his control over your life has been canceled. He's not your daddy. Number three, we get these feelings of defeat because of the certainty of suffering. The certainty of suffering. It's the old episode. Pastor Ben and I have been been teaching the younger staff members about the show Hee Haw recently. And one of the songs that we would hear on Hee Haw was the one that went gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't, I can hear the moans out here a little bit. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Sound like a Georgia or Braves fan before the past year. Gloom, despair, agony on me. And, and so we get to sounding so defeated because of the suffering that we encounter in this world. The, the, the immense attack, the, maybe the political pressure, maybe at work or at school, maybe the, the grief that we have to go through this side of heaven because we live in a sin-fallen world where bad stuff happens to even righteous people. It rains on the just and the unjust. What Romans 8 say about these feelings of the certainty of suffering? Does it say, oh, no, 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 you're not going to suffer? That's not what it says. Remember what Paul told Timothy, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So you'll suffer. But I consider, verse 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. In other words, there's coming a day when God makes all things new. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. Even this planet is going to experience total redemption. It did not happen at the cross, as some try to say. Listen, no matter how much you preach the health, wealth, name it, claim it, gospel, you're not going to eliminate suffering from the life in a broken world that still longs and cries for redemption. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits. In other words, a little bit of heaven on earth as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I know one thing, I haven't received my glorified body yet, but I long for that day that we do. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, you're going through a time of suffering, you're going through a time of brokenheartedness, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. The Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. When all you can do is groan, the Spirit is interpreting that before the Father, and he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm so glad Jesus is praying for me. There's one mediator between God and man. And he's praying for me. I, I know I tell you I will pray for you. I've learned to pray quickly. I've learned to say I'm praying right now and pray right then because I can let you down from time to time. I'm so glad so many of you are praying for me. But listen, one that will never let us down, Jesus is always praying for us. He is always interceding for us before the Father. 
And he's doing something in us, even in our season of suffering. He's telling us in verse 28, in the context of suffering, not in the context of prosperity, in the context of talking about suffering, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purposes, whom he foreknew he also predestined, those that he knew would believe in him. Listen, don't think of predestination as, well, God handpicked some people for hell, God handpicked some people from heaven, and he gave us no choice in the matter. Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to redemption. By the way, nobody gets saved and takes God by surprise. Nobody rejects him. God is not limited by time or scope, but he sovereignly, with full control, said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to express your faith in me. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Can I get my mind completely around how he gave us free will and responsibility, and yet he is sovereign? And and, and the Bible teaches sovereign election. I, I don't understand all of that completely. But I do know that he predestined those whom he foreknew to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, he's doing something purposeful, even in the suffering, to make us more like Jesus. Now, I learned a little trick. Now, if, if Pastor Ben were preaching, he would probably build a fire on the platform to demonstrate this. I'm not going to build a fire. No, he was a firefighter. He might not go that far. But I was told when I was in college that you could take a plastic cup, fill it with water, and boil an egg on a campfire before the cup would ever be consumed. And I didn't believe it. And so we went camping one time. There was a group of us, actually college students from Trinity, went camping, and I thought, I'm going to give this a try. So I took one of those solo cups. I filled it with water. I set it in the hot coals of the fire, a cup that would have melted like that, but now full of water, put an egg in it, the water began to boil, and as the water began to evaporate out, the egg was boiling and the egg was cooking. And so by the time, as the water would evaporate out and go down, the cup would melt down with it a little at a time, a little at a time, a little time. Before the cup melted down, the egg was cooked. The egg was boiled. The egg was done. And I thought, wow, it served, the cup served its purpose because of the water that was on the inside of the cup. Now, it's hard to draw this analogy, but listen to what Paul told the church at Corinth. You know this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in clay jars. What, what were clay jars in the first century? They were Dixie cups. <laughs> they were solo cups. You'd have broken clay on the ground. So that this extraordinary power may be from God, it's not about the cup. It's not about the jar. It's what's in the jar. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. As we stay on fire for him, right, this body still begins to pass away at a little of time so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with that which is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit. All the suffering that you're going through is allowing you, like the fire boiling that egg, is allowing you to accomplish your purposes until God is finished with you on this planet. And it, 
is at different ages and different times, different seasons for all of us. As grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. For we do not lose focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. Or we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. So one day God's going to be finished with this vehicle. But for now, his Holy Spirit is living inside, accomplishing his purposes until he is done with me this side of heaven. It's for his allotted time that we go through suffering. It's for his season of life, however long that season is, and it is for his purposes. And finally, the final feeling we deal with are the consequences of separation. The consequences of separations. No condemnation. We've done away with the control of Satan. We understand that there's going to be suffering. But what about God not being there? Have you gone through seasons in life where you just felt like God wasn't there? There again, introduce your feelings to truth, to the truth of God's Word. Well, March 27th, we're going to deal with feelings of fear and anxiety that were canceled because of the gospel. But maybe one of our fears is the fact that we feel like God's not there. It's a defeated spirit. Because of the sin, suffering, or this, somehow we still feel sometimes like God's not there. Verse 31. This is probably one of your favorite parts of the whole chapter. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God, and he's interceding for us. There he is praying for us again. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, here goes the defeated spirit. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the truth. It don't always impact our feelings. If there was one thing that I could really teach Christians how to do. People that are born again who believe the book and say they want to live for Jesus, want their families to live for Jesus. One thing I could really teach Christians how to do, it would be to teach them how to be sensitive to the Spirit of God, how to be aware of the presence of God. Yes, He's omnipresent. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives, but we don't always walk and live with the sensitivity of His presence. I remember having a, a football coach, ninth and 10th grade at Madison County, some of you might remember Coach Rowe. Some of you, yeah, I remember running sprints till we were throwing up in the end zone. Um, you were just somehow aware of his presence. You just knew, man, he's, 
he had this overwhelming, like, man, he's, he's, he's about to make life tough. We, we, had a, we had two weight rooms back in the old gym, upper body on one side, lower body on the other. And if coach walked in, you became very aware of his presence. When he called that team meeting at the end of practice, you became very aware that, man, he's got something to say and you were focused in on what he had to say. You wanted to listen. You didn't want to interrupt. You didn't want to distract. And I thought, how many of our churches are like that? When the, when the preacher's preaching, how many of us are like, well, I better be focused now. When we're worshiping, boy, I'm aware of the Spirit here. Some of us will some Sunday say, man, boy, God showed up today. I got news for you. God shows up every time two or more gather in his name. It's not that God didn't show up. It's you weren't aware and sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how he was working in that service. Coach was talking to us, man, we're listening. You didn't dare leave practice early. Mom and dad didn't dare interrupt coach, right? You were like, man, I want to hear what, yeah, I better hear what he had. I've got to execute. we got a big game coming up. You know, every week we've got a big game coming up. Every week we're preparing people for life. And as Christians, we, we've lost the ability to be sensitive to the Spirit working around us, sensitive to what he's doing, the conviction he's bringing in our own heart. Then we wonder why we leave here with a defeated spirit and why it lasts all week. I want to challenge you. Be sensitive and obedient. I ask you when we began to service, be praying that God would lay somebody on your heart. See, this is like the huddle we execute when we leave this place. And we want to challenge you this morning. When we open the altar in a moment, there are some magnets laying up here. Have a place for you to put a name on them. Stick it on your refrigerator, right? That's where we go the most in our house. We commit to pray for and invite. So come and take one. You may come as a family. You may come as an individual. But come up here. There's some Sharpies. During the invitation, come write a name on one. But I'm telling you, if you've never given your heart, your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in the one who died and rose to give you life, I want you to find me or Pastor Ben and say, I need to be saved today. Some of you were called and, and, and you've talked to us about it and you said, we're ready to make it official. Unite with this church. Come tell us about that. But I want all of us to leave here with a magnet with a name on it that we're going to pray for and invite them to hear the message of death canceled or any of the messages leading up to that. We want to commit to that. Let's be sensitive and obedient to the Spirit's leading. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, forgive us when we walk around with a defeated spirit. Your word tells us that we are more than conquerors not in and of ourselves, but through you. Help us to live that way. Help us to introduce our feelings to truth every day by staying in your word. Father, right now, I pray that you would lay on our hearts someone that you want us to be a witness to in our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, Someone that you want us to build a connection with in order to share the gospel or invite them to a service where they'll hear the gospel. Lord, help us to be sensitive right now to your Spirit's work and to what's going on around us. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.